Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum. Uh, so thank you for joining me today. Um, my name is Eliza Fricker. Uh, I'm an illustrator and a designer and I'm also mother to a 12-year-old daughter with autism and this is my story, our story of um, how to see the child and not just the diagnosis. Eating pancakes on the weekend, sitting on the table eating porridge straight from the pan with the big wooden mixing spoon, making dens with every blanket in the house, climbing trees, Painting with hands and feet. Making clothes for teddy bears. Making, cooking, climbing, playing, reading. Enjoy this time, you'll never get it back. We always said we would wait until you could speak before sending you to nursery. So we waited until the free nursery places when you were two and a half. You were clingy and sometimes even frantic when we dropped you off there. That's what all children do. They play up to their parents and they're fine once you've gone. But you were quiet and clingy with one nursery teacher. When we picked you up in the afternoon, you would cry all the way home and often fall straight to sleep. Maybe she's shy. Bedtimes were long and after years of co-sleeping, you struggled in your own room. We laid with you for hours watching you count your fingers over and over and get more frantic for sleep, the more tired you got. Have you tried lavender oil? No child wants to go to bed. You struggled with grandparents and clung to my legs or hid under the table. Friends would come to play, but you would shut them out of your room when you'd had enough. Please don't let them use my plate, you would whisper, holding tightly to my jumper. Meltdowns, tantrums, frustrations, distress. When you started school, this didn't get any better. It got worse. She'll have to learn to get on with it. You didn't want to do class assemblies and show what you'd done. You wanted to be with the teacher. You learnt ways to hold the handle of my bag so tight that it was impossible to break away without hurting you. You begged and cried every morning I took you to school and you kicked and screamed every afternoon I picked you up. We're not sure what else we can do really. We moved you to another school. It was small and orderly. You knew lots of children there. Meanwhile, you went to the children's clinic for an assessment and two hours later you were diagnosed with autism. They gave me some chewing gum grey photocopied sheets to take home. She doesn't look autistic. Is she high functioning? Now I got to go to other school buildings I'd never been to with other parents I'd never met. We got instant coffee. Biscuits and lanyards. Lots of the parents would be angry in those rooms and it made me feel awkward because I'd never met them before. You got the support they used for the autistic children. Laminated visual timetables. A colour-coded emotional scaling system. This is what they did for all the other autistic children. But you didn't like this. You just wanted a teaching assistant again and would leave class to find your old one. The meltdowns and outbursts didn't get any better at home. They never went away. They got worse. All children enjoy sports day. They get an ice pop. Swimming is fun for the children and it's a break from the lessons. You only managed a few swimming lessons and then stopped being able to go. On the last day of the last session, after being distressed all morning, you were able to tell me your class teacher had put you in with the younger children because you couldn't swim. You were the only child he did this to. 
you hated your teacher your teacher and you know what I did too you struggled more and more to be in the classroom once you heard him sigh under his breath when he saw you in the corridor again do you think we need any CP no I stood at the school gates at pickup and saw the children with TAs come out first and them chat about how their day went with their parents I saw them build a sheltered walkway for the child in the wheelchair so they didn't get wet between classrooms. I saw them buy new picnic benches. I saw you alone in the corridor spinning on an office chair. What did I do? I went to meetings. I sat on small plastic chairs. I stuck visitor stickers on and signed in and out. I, got, I cried and got offered head tilts non-absorbent tissues that didn't mock my snot or tears. I nodded along. At home I sat with you for hours while you hid under the duvet. I read and read and read to try and get you to sleep. I lay in the dark biting the skin around my nails. I felt hurt and rejected when you kicked me or threw things at me. I'm still ashamed at the times I shouted at you. But... Sometimes you've got to get tough or they just won't learn. You can't keep making allowances. And the worst thing of all was that all of this felt wrong. Sitting in sterile offices with tired, worn out teachers who were sometimes kind and sometimes baffled. They didn't know what to do, nor did we. But I always thought, most have your best interest at heart. I mean, they're teachers, right? Those last weeks of primary, we all scraped by. That summer is still so hard to remember. Yes, it was rough at primary, but the next place, a school of thousands with timetables, uniforms, rules. How are you going to cope? I'll skim over the secondary school and all the horrors. I don't want to talk about breaking down in those meetings because they didn't even ask me anything about you. I didn't want to send you there, but what was I meant to do? All children have to go to school. I'll skim over your first day, your panic attack, the vomit and the begging text messages and how they made you stay all day. That you stopped eating and talking and you began ticking. We are deeming the day a success. I'll skim over looking at special schools and even a trial session that ended after half a day with a panic attack. We don't take children like that. So I said, we've done it their way eight years and now we're doing it her way. Gaming laughing, swinging in the hammock, going charity shopping, making cakes, staying up late, watching comedy on TV, skateboarding, minecrafting, puzzles, experiments, pyjama days, loads of these, playing with the dog, listening to podcasts, making, doing, listening, laughing, talking, but how will she learn what real life is like? What about GCSEs? This is our life and how we want it now. It's happy, calm and safe. You're more than a diagnosis. You're more than an institution. So I wanted to start with this, it's a sort of letter to my daughter, even though she won't read it because it doesn't come with trainers or a skateboard, but it's a sort of brief outline really of our experiences. And I know from my experiences that sometimes when you hear these stories of the complexities of parents struggling with school, they are a bit tedious because I, I, bore, my, I bore myself with it sometimes. But I wanted to write a blog as an illustrator. It's sort of my way of processing, really, our experiences um, of navigating the education system um, with a daughter with autism and high levels of anxiety. And um, she has such high levels of anxiety that it actually leads to her being demand avoidant, which means that 
if she perceives there's sort of any demand or expectation, she'll rebuke or rebuff that. Um, so it is complicated, um, and it does require quite a flexible way of thinking. Um, and it was really through through our experiences and writing my blog, um, I began to be interested in really highlighting how inflexible these systems are um, surrounding diagnosis. And we seem to be diagnosing, we're becoming more aware um, of, of different conditions, but we're still expecting these children to fit these neurotypical environments. And then I started thinking, well, would a neurodiverse and accommodating environment actually be so bad for the neurotypical? Or should we keep it neurotypical for the neurodiverse to cope with? I'll leave that one there for you. But we do, we expect all our children to fit one system. And it's a system of education that is failing more and more children. And even those that do survive it, they're, they're not equipped with the modern skills you need for society. You know, we're not working in factories, we're replacing service jobs with technology. What's the future of work going to be? Are we going to need people that remember the facts and figures, or are we going to need self-taught, self-managing individuals who can work alone, you know, set up their own businesses? Are we going to need free thinkers? What if I said that me and my husband run a furniture and interiors company and neither of us have a degree? I don't even have some of my core GCSEs, but no one's ever asked us that. When we were on the front of the ES magazine, no one said, can I see a copy of your record of achievement? It's not, no one asks you that stuff. You think you're going to need it, but you don't. What people want to see is what you do, how you work, are you nice, can you work with those people? But, you know, importantly and seriously, mental health conditions are on the rise. And we know suicide remains the biggest killer of men under 40 in the UK. So should we not be teaching the importance of emotional well-being of each other? What message are we giving to young people about mental health when they're forced to endure, grow resilience and get on with it? When my daughter would have severe anxiety, she wouldn't be able to go into school. And we had an app um, to register absences, but there wasn't the option for anxiety. It wasn't seen as an illness. So until we start to recognize and understand anxiety and mental health, are we not just raising another generation to feel ashamed about mental health and to continue seeing it as a weakness? I mean, I started this journey of education with my daughter unquestioning of the system. You just go to school. And I put that in quite a lot in my, in my drawings. You've just got to go. Because that was often what we were given as a message. And when parents are fined as well, that is the message. Your children have to go to school, come what may. But the more we experience as a family, the more I began to see how broken education was and my child wasn't wrong or broken or needing to be fixed it was the system why should I change my child to fit she did have different needs and requirements but she wasn't wrong to have these we'd raised her to be kind interested creative and it was those nylon trouser-wearing, routine-driven places of so-called learning that didn't have room for learning. They saw one autistic person, and my daughter was different, and you know what, they couldn't get their heads around it. I'm not blaming them. I like lots of teachers, lots of my friends and family are teachers. But capitalism has created these services around these systems of support. We were offered a baffling network of different support systems. We had an ASC specialist support teacher that we would see once a term and then 
each term it would be a different one. So how were they meant to know us or our daughter? And we had another department for ed educational psychologists and therapists, but then you'd need a referral from the school to access this. And there's an SEN team for caseworkers, and it just goes on. And within this, you've got these advice lines to help you navigate it. And it's, it's all spectral. There's, you know, you're leaving voicemails and then someone might call you back in a few days and they'll ask what it's about and then they'll say they'll have to find the right person to call you back. So it's exhausting, it's spectral, and it's boring. And this is kind of where the crux lays for me because... Post-diagnosis, you end up in this system, and I think what it does, it compounds that mindset for parents that you've got all these systems, and within that, they'll fix it, and they'll fix your child. And then when they don't work, we get angry. Why are they not working? Why are they not making it better? And I'm not saying we shouldn't receive support for our children. Of course we should. But what if it wasn't more services? more overworked and overstretched services, or even us paying for another service, what if it was relationship-led? What if schools had just lots more people working with our children, keeping an eye out for our children? I had a close family member who was mentally ill for a number of years, and his mum called their GP after trying many different services and options and said, what shall I do? And he said, just be there. Now, some could see that as a skin NHS doctor fobbing us off. But I saw this as just be with him. And life is really, really hard sometimes. And we need someone to sit, hold our hand, and feel our pain. And I'm not saying if we've experienced something horrific not to seek help. But I'm saying for many of us, that important bit the relationship gets lost in the phone calls and the emails and the services around it trying to fix it. And I know because I've done it. But what if there were these people in school who were just there with our children, looking out for them? What if there were more safe spaces that were people instead? My dad used to run adventure playgrounds in West London in the 1980s when he was a struggling artist and these kids were often left there all day and playing on this makeshift, pretty dangerous equipment that my dad and his friends would make. And then they would just sort of sit around drinking cups of tea and smoking roll-ups and then children were allowed to take risks and they were better equipped with better judgement for this. And they were looked after but not looked over by my dad and his friends. My dad and his friends would often have some pretty tough kids in these playgrounds, but they were good with kids. And that's what we need. We need these naturals around children who put relationships as an equal to learning. My daughter didn't need or want laminated clip art imagery and can I just say no one ever wants clip art imagery if you ever use it just don't because it's horrible <laughs> she needed a consistent person at school who made her feel safe and then we add to all this the curriculums being more rigid than ever with lessons cramming and shoehorning all these curriculum requirements in regardless. There's no space or time or room to offer creative, nurturing, flexible thinking. I remember one term my daughter was learning about Anglo-Saxons and the homework was to use synonyms to make phrases about Anglo-Saxons' way of life and she had this huge meltdown about it and she said she couldn't do it. Because she said, I can't write a synonym. I don't know if they Anglo-Saxons built their wooden huts happily or angrily because it's historical. I don't know. And I guess she was right, you know, and that's that sheer warning, all these different elements so they can tick it off. They've done it. And we've taken that autonomy away from teachers to be able to bring their skills and their strengths to the classroom.
they can't change or alter plans for lessons if they see the children flagging or disengaging. Or even if a class is really interested, they can't continue with it and explore it further because there's no time. My daughter had a really lovely class teacher in her final year and she said, when we have art week or science week, so they actually have to have a week, they don't have it any other time. She said, oh, she'll stay in class all week. And I thought, funny that, creative lessons with a tangible outcome got her to stay in class. So for us now, it's been a year of no school and I can really see how bad it was and I can see how much happier my daughter is. I don't know if schools will change. I want them to. I still believe in a free state school system for everyone and if we are making radical changes, we'll get rid of the private schools but we'll leave that and clip up but we'll leave those for another time. So would I send my daughter back? Well, I've drawn my horrible first boyfriend for this example. Would I send my daughter back? I say to that, it's a bit like if your friend went out with Barry and Barry was a twit and your friend breaks up with him and then you tell your friend, oh, you're so much better than you were when you were with Barry and he kept trying to change you. But I was thinking, now you feel so much better about yourself. Why don't you give it another go with Barry? So as a mother, you'd have a very tough argument to try and convince me to put her back in the system that nearly broke her. So to end, it was all wrong for our daughter. She wasn't the wrong fit. She didn't need to change to fit a system. She wasn't beyond help. She was who she's meant to be. When we were trying to make her fit in, it went against all that she needed. She needed to be seen for her and offered a flexible, calm, creative and free environment to flourish. And ultimately, we were all trying to fit. At home, we can give her the environment she needs, but at school, we're all forced to comply. And that went against what my daughter needed to feel safe and happy. It's not always easy being at home together all the time, financially and mentally. But we have a special tuition service which the local authority are currently paying for. It's early days, but it seems to be working. I asked her once, what didn't you like at school? What was the most difficult thing? And she said to feel trapped. So, be free, and I'll be here on the sidelines, very discreetly, watching out for you, every step of the way. Thank you. That, that is it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Eliza. That was beautiful. Um, thank you. So much to think about. Lots of, lots of people clapping and very much. I couldn't see that. I was too busy to get my notes. Hi, I'm Juliet. Now, I just wanted to say I really uh, enjoyed your presentation. Um, yes, it was brilliant and um, very moving. Thank oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> My name's Claire. I'm a registered manager of a children's home in the West Midlands. Um, and I'm looking to set up an alternative provision uh, within the grounds of my home, specifically because one of my young people who live with me, we are unable to find an educational provision that say they can meet his needs. Mm. Um, and listening to that makes me more determined uh, to go ahead and do this <laughs> for the young people who live here with me. So thank you very much oh, um, thanks. for sharing your experiences with us all. Thanks. I think, I think part of it is that I don't, I don't think any child doesn't fit. You know, mm. it's changed the environment, not changed the child. And yeah. I think... Um, and I think that's kind of, I think that, that relationship thing that I talk about a lot, relationships being at the core, is lost. And I think when you're in those systems, 
all you, all you want is someone that is a consistent person for your child when they're in that environment that is making them feel really anxious. But you kind of get all these other bits thrown at you, yeah. but they're not, those aren't consistent either. So, <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad to hear you're thinking of doing something different. That's <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Anyone else have anything? Hi, is that Olive? I think you're on mute at the minute, Olive. You just have to answer um, it. When you said that sentence about see her for who she is and a flexible, calm, creative environment is what she needs, I kept thinking that's what actually every child needs. Yeah. And what's, you know, why is, why there is so much going on to create anxiety in school? And I go, well, a lot of people say, well, anxiety goes with these conditions. And I go, well, actually, is the anxiety in school causing them? We're going to have people who think differently. But on the other hand, we don't need to have people who are terrorised by thinking differently. Well, I think one of the big issues for us and what I've written about in our blog is there's a lot of guilt that came with that for me as the mother and the person who's been at home with her because because I suppose of our, our lifestyle and perhaps, you know, because we're creative or, you know, we don't put suits on and get on a train and commute every day. I felt like we sort of created an enigma and that was something that was very difficult where you judge yourself as a parent that you have created this child that can't fit you know, and perhaps it's our fault she doesn't fit. And that was what we felt like quite a lot of the time. And that, that was really tough because um, she was born differently as well. But I don't think there's anything wrong with having a child who thinks outside the box. We should be encouraging that, not discouraging it. Absolutely. Can you put your website on the, in the comments, your, your blog? Oh, yeah, I'll do it now, yeah. Thank you. I think um, Angela has a question. Do you want her to ask that now while you're typing? Yeah, sure. Hi. Um, first of all, it's, thanks very much. Incredibly relevant to me. Um, I just wondered if you had any tips for not um, not seeing just the diagnosis and not living in autism world, because that's what I feel like I'm doing at the moment. We're on the cusp of diagnosis for our daughter, um, who's five, he sounds very similar to yours, and it's a bit all. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think, like I was saying, with the getting lost in those systems, I think you can lose sight of you and your family a little bit within that, and that's really difficult because you wouldn't want to change your child or your family, and. I think it's also really important that you don't lose sight of yourself. I would sit, I mean, I, I joked about it in another talk I did and I said, I've never worn a lanyard before. I've never, I've never worn a lanyard. And here I was with these blimmy lanyards on and sitting in these grey offices. And there were so many times I thought, what am I doing? And trying to talk about with people with this sort of, well, I said, chewing gum grey printouts. And, Sometimes I, I felt like I might as well be talking into a pillowcase because you're just talking into another world of people and they don't get you and you don't get them. And I don't know, actually, I did a little doodle today. I don't know if you can see it, but it's for my blog, but it's um, me with all my things because I'm like, I am still that woman who reads and listens to bad 90s hip hop and you don't forget who you are within that system because the bits of you that are you are the bits that encourage and help your child you do know what is best you do know more than any of the the lanyard wearing nylon trousers <laughs> don't lose sight of that because you know pre-school and pre the system you probably knew what you were doing ish um, so don't lose sight of that, I would say. Can I ask Eliza? I think yeah. you've just sort of anticipated my question in a way, actually. Um, but if, for me, I think what 
what I had to learn doing um, when we did home education, left the schooling system. It was temporary in our case, it was only a couple of years, but uh, was about holding my nerve. And I didn't feel that was something I'd really been brought up to do particularly mm. or sort of taught to do it was something I had to teach myself for that and it sounds a bit like what you're describing that you just just have uh, rather than I mean, I'm not saying ignore all the experts it's really useful to do lots of research mm. and things isn't it but yeah um, but don't sort of assume you have no expertise as as a parent perhaps yeah and I think a lot of that focus I mean it's like a lot of friends even you know I live in Brighton it's quite um quite alternative um, but even some of my friends, when we pulled out of the, the, the school system, said, and I put it in there, what, what, what about GCSEs? That was one of the first things. What about GCSEs? And I've not only thought, I'm so far removed from that. But, you know, when you, when you are a parent who can talk, if you sit in your family and you talk and you're together, and a lot of that is that just being together, it's not about, I didn't even know what a synonym was, by the way. I had to Google that because I'd forgotten what the, the verb, the term was. So, you know, you don't need all that. Um, and that's why I say, you know, the record of achievement. I mean, has anyone still got their record of achievement? I'd love to know if they have. <laughs> Hi. 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 Sorry, your name's not put Ian. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Uh, we're just down the road from you, um, just outside Hove, and we took, I guess, what was the opposite view of yours, which is we, that there wasn't a possibility of changing the state system, so we set up something separately as a charity. So we have, I think, seven uh, autistic young people and out of a group of nearly 40, mm. um, and we can do it, and we can do what we like because we're not a school, so we don't have a curriculum, we don't have classrooms, we do have a high um, ratio of adults to young people and we don't uh, impose any timetable on the students and we work with them and sometimes people would say well um, autistic kids need more structure so your place couldn't work. But we do have a structure, we have a community, but they're in, they're in a group of six, they um, uh, create their own programs of work and our autistic children do that. So, um, uh, obviously, I'm, I disagree with you that it's about, you know, um, sticking with the state system. Um, we don't. Um, no. We're really outside the state system. We have been often inspected and they recognised us as not a school. Um, and it allows us to be able to do what we can do and to meet the needs of the autistic young people that, that come to our college, which is for nine to 16-year-olds. <laughs> I suppose when I say about the state system, I mean as in my idea would be that that is embedded within the state system rather than, um, but that's quite an idealistic um, dream to see that that would happen. Um, but I think that that's what you were saying as well with autistic, when you said about don't autistic people need routine and structure. And I think that that get, again gets them put in the wrong places often in 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 mainstream school because um that does get put into uh, laminated timetables and actually what's needed is more that feeling that feeling of safety comes a lot from relationships i would say and that consistency of those people in in those young people's lives i think is as important as any kind of um timetable to put it simply so yeah I would like to come and have a look. I know, I know your school. I haven't had a chance to have a look yet, but I'd like to come and have a look at it at some point. You're very welcome. Any time. At the moment, we're on Zoom, but um, yeah. we'll be open face to face. So. Yeah. I was just seeing in the chat. I wanted to know about the LA and Send provision. Uh, how difficult was it? That's from a. Uh, okay, my situation is the same. Um, yeah, so we did end up having an EHCP, um, and that that was given to us before um, going to. Uh, I think it was in year near the end of primary school, anyway. Um, and it was exhausting. Um, it has meant that the local authority are currently providing a tuition service. Um, that we found ourselves 
um, who work in a very kind of child-led, very nurturing way. Um, but it is, it's exhausting. We've just had our annual review. It's still all over the shop. We don't know how long we'll have the tuition for. Um, and a lot of the time I would probably like to not be in that system at all. Um, I read the paperwork and I don't even associate it with my daughter. It's just very generic and very boring. Um, but at the same time, it does mean that at the minute she is getting tuition and um, that is important and what she needs at the moment. It's not tuition as in kind of doing sitting down and doing um, maths. It's kind of very... Um, it's embedded around things she likes to do, so it's very creatively um, done with her. Um, but it, it, it's very difficult to weigh up, really, and it kind of comes down to you how much you can endure of, of dealing with the local authority because it is very, very tedious. And if you ever think that the local authority will see your child for who they are, they won't be able to do that. But if you kind of work with them to an extent you know you might be lucky and get get what you need for your child but it is exhausting and probably this time last year just after school broke well yeah a bit later so September when things broke down at school um I won't lie it nearly broke me doing all of that and actually my husband and my mum both said and they were incredibly worried because, it, you know, having to deal with that and make those phone calls and beg them to give you something, some, some education for your child was horrific. Um, but it's the system, isn't it? So unless you pull out of that system, it's a decision that I think you can only make yourself whether you can deal with it, really. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Someone said it feels like a choice between enjoying my child's childhood or spending the next 10 years battling. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately because she's becoming a teenager. And people always say, don't they, you know, it flies by when they're young. And that is something that I think you do in a blink of an eye those brilliant you know now the door gets shut and there's minecraft and she wants to go out with her friends you know those days of kind of sitting around together i can see her slowly going as she enters being a teenager and it's really kind of deciding how much battling you want to do and it was actually um, a lawyer that i spoke to when we were doing our eacp and she said you could spend forever battling but just get what you need out, get the real bare bones of what you need. Because I see a lot of parents, and I get it, you know, you're in this system, but they, you can get into a never-ending battle. And, you know, then you do lose sight of the person who reads and listens to bad 90s hip-hop, and then you're not going to be able to be that parent that you want to be for your child so he's always kind of weighing it up and working out what's going to be best for all of you i have a comment if you're okay with it yeah yeah of course yeah um i'm a i'm an aged person in the sense i'm 70 but my <laughs> my own children um didn't go to primary school and yeah. my daughter's daughter does not go to school at all she's in a system maybe a little like the one that ian described um, so she is what makes me sort of connect with what you said is that uh, Charlie she just seems to develop according to her own interests so the people that she's working with in the little group that she goes to it's only about 12 children two facilitators they simply allow the children to work on their own interests and it always used to worry me that oh Charlie's she's not reading and that she's eight years old but when Charlie gained an interest she just learned to read it was almost like virtually like overnight all of a sudden she could just read these sentences so as soon as the interest took her she was able to do it it just mean it just makes me think that you know for your daughter once an interest takes her you won't have to worry no, no. And, and I think that's it and I think that 
you know you see children do that they find their own they navigate their own way through it but I think what we noticed is when when she was coping and literally just about as I said scraping through education then she was too broken she was too exhausted to do anything for herself you know she would get home in the evening and her headphones would go on and we would just feed her from the sofa or from her room and she had no capacity to have anything because it had taken everything to be in, in school. Mm. Every bit of energy hope with being there. And, you know, she had a terrible attendance. It was really, really low because if she'd done a couple of days of doing that, then she would be too exhausted to go in another day. So that's how, how tiring it was for her. And of course, school would say, but she's fine, she's fine. And that's even more concerning that a child is putting on that much the front, they would appear that they're fine. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So now that she's at home, she can, and it is very much on her, to, you know, very much. And she's, I said, she has a lot of drama days. That's fine. Um, and then she'll go off and she's just learning to do a new creative painting thing on the iPad today. And she picked that up way quicker than me. And I use a lot of digital art stuff. I, you know, the, that's the other thing. We underestimate young people, how how able they are to pick up on stuff and how quickly I can't use <laughs> Oh yeah, I totally agree. I mean, yeah. you said, I think your comment was eight years at nearly broke her. If that yeah. was an adult, in a similar situation, probably we wouldn't last one year, let no. alone eight years. No. And this idea of being flexible, calm, free to flourish, and what your daughter said was the worst thing at school, feeling trapped. Mm. At first I thought, ah, oh, she means physically, but I don't think she does. I think she means no. mentally. Mm. She just needs, you know, to be able to have exactly what you're providing for her. Yeah. And I think yeah. you're doing the best you possibly can. Yeah. Thanks, Roger. That's okay. <laughs> Hi. I think you're on mute, actually. Is it? Yeah, I think you're on mute at the minute. Who are you speaking to? Yeah, Jemima, yeah. All right. Rachel, did you want to say something? No? Oh, okay. I'm just reaching into the cupboard, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was just going to add that, you know, I've come across this idea before that part of um, maybe uh, a parent's role is to just sort of keep things out of the, uh, obstructions out of the way to some extent for their child. Sometimes they need to just work it out for themselves, obviously, and find their own way through, as you're saying. But in the past, maybe, you know, people have seen the obstructions as being their child's neurodiversity or, or extra needs or, or unusual needs or whatever it is. But it sounds as though really from your perspective, what you're saying is the obstructions are the systems. Uh, is supposed to be helping with that but actually it's the systems that get in the way and yeah and I, I think it's still there's still a massive massive misunderstanding when it comes to neurodiversity I saw actually before I came on here on Twitter um, uh, a parent had asked about because see there will be starting secondary school in September and so there's a lot of discussion around school uniforms so his mother was saying how can I get the school to um, make reasonable adjustments for my child's school uniforms this is always an issue for parents of school uniform and actually an uh, SEN teacher and she had been a Senko it says on her Twitter bio she said well you need to just tell the child that it's good for their, um, it's better for their posture to wear proper shoes than wearing sliders. And it's not a choice, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take for you to understand, it's not a choice. They're not choosing to do this, you know, it's a sensory issue. They're not choosing not to wear shoes because they don't like them. And, you know, this is, a, this is a special needs teacher. And I just, when I read things like that, I think we have still got so far to go for people to understand it and 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 the other one that comes into that is resilience i think any parent with a child with a sen will say that um resilience is one of those words that makes us all very uncomfortable because resilience is always used when they're not going to give you anything <laughs> your child has to learn resilience and someone said to me the other day, well, you wouldn't say it's someone who wears glasses. They've got to learn to read without glasses. You know, 
but yeah, there's still a lot of that going around, unfortunately. And I don't, you know, I don't put it all in there because, you know, I'm careful. But we, we've, we've had some brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people that were, you know, teachers and various educators. But I have had some shockers. And, I, you know, somewhere I really still to this day am shocked that they are in those positions as being SEMCOs because their attitude and their way of dealing with things has been awful and that's really surprising you know and I don't know if that's because they're wanting to crawl up the middle management to senior I don't know where that comes from but there is a very strange other in schools that will um behave in quite Victorian and Dickensian ways when it comes to children with special needs and I find that baffling and I'm still baffled by some of those <laughs> Uh, I think there's a question from Ellie and there's a comment from Angela on the chat if you've got a second. Uh, how does your child find home ed groups? Um, we don't do them. She's not, she's not there yet really. I think anything that she perceives as anything kind of schooly, even something lovely like probably meeting a home ed group in, in, in a park, she just is not there yet. I mean, she may get there. Her tutor is talking about perhaps are doing that and accessing something but she, you know she's really burnt out from that system and um it, for her it ended with her she would go into these environments anything that felt slightly formal and be very very sick would vomit so she she's still got a way to go with that she's you know fine here and meeting her friends but anything that has that kind of seeming formalness around it she's not ready to do it but I would like her to. I'd like her to go to some homemade groups and, you know, when she's ready, if she ever gets ready. So, um, what was the other? Ellie. Oh, yeah. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Eliza. Hi. Can you, can you hear me all right? Yeah. I'm on a new headphones, so I don't know if they work. I can hear um, you. I was just wanting to sort of join in, really, the comments about resilience, because I think there's there's a really dangerous dialogue that's come out of Gave's stint in the education system which was about sort of you know robust measures robust education builds resilience it's all very uh draconian isn't it mm. and, and it really feeds into the old-fashioned beliefs that many of us have of tough love mm. yet actually if you were to speak to any child development uh, you know, expert, anybody who understands what neurobiology is, how how it impacts the whole physiology of the body, how children aren't actually equipped, their brains haven't finished growing until they're 25, um, to, um, to, to have the resilience to uh, own their emotions, to, um, to, to have emotional literacy, to actually understand I think one of my biggest frustrations and, and yet the biggest shock for me was that this, this term resilience has been hijacked. And actually anyone who, who, who understands how humans grow and how humans thrive, resilience comes through connection. Resilience comes through positive experience. Resilience is built it is built, it's possible to build it, but you don't force it. And in fact, the more you force it and the, more you, the harder you are to anybody, adult or child, the more they withdraw and you actually uh, chip away their resilience, you reduce it. Mm. So there's, there's so much work to be done, actually. I would, I, would far, I would really love for more neuroscientists to be speaking to those who write policy and uh, and to you know develop curriculum and school education systems and everything, because as soon as you get the neurobiology correct, you know, so as soon as you accept that a child actively is is um, in terms of evolution wired to need an adult mm. to regulate to understand their place in the world to to feel safe as soon as you get those pillars right then resilience just absolutely goes through the scale uh, it's it's a it's a real it's a real problem i think and you can't actually that there's no forcing it so this this narrative of building resilience is really what worrying to me um and also the narrative around the word vulnerable 
what does vulnerable what does being yeah. vulnerable mean you know what does who is vulnerable um why do you feel vulnerable why do you become vulnerable why why is anyone vulnerable there's there's such a wide dialogue around it but um I mean I think some of that kind of I think some of it starts I still remember sort of when you know our daughter was a baby and you do hear it but you've got to get them in their own room do you remember that when you have yeah. them, you've got to get them in their room and they've got to be sleeping on it I think they're these arbitrary timelines by six months they've got to be in their room on their own and you but yeah I don't, so I don't know if it's a kind of some of that is probably leftover Victorian attitudes and then I think some of it, when it's coming from the government, is simplistic and it's money-saving, isn't it? You know, it's very... How we can do that when, with humans when they're so complex, to have such a simplistic idea, and like you said, especially with children. Um, I, I really feel that now, we, you know, we've, we've got a special needs crisis, a SEND crisis, a school budgets crisis, a pandemic, everything. All of these things, our children are, I feel, the most incredible mirror that's held up to us always. <laughs> and they invite us to look into that mirror. And I think in increasing numbers, we are seeing children not fit the systems because the systems obviously don't work. They're, they're, they're industrialized factories of attainment and attendance and you know with the well the exams this week you know results this week absolutely high, highlight yeah. the, the flaws in the system yeah. and and the duplicity in the exam system that we all think that if we work hard and we study hard we'll be all right well no because it, the algorithms have always been there that the double marking has always been there no matter what school you attend well not no matter what school you attended in fact the place you attended was part of the algorithm because previous cohorts you were always upheld against and your postcode, et cetera. So it's, it's always been duplicitous. And I think what's happening is not only have we got children holding up a mirror, but we've got COVID holding up a mirror and absolutely showing us the, the, the fractures in the systems. And it's exciting in a way because we have an opportunity mm. to do better mm. um, and try not to press the reset button back to normal. Um, but also it's overwhelming, isn't it? There's a, there's a lot of fear in, in the systems around, um, you know, our SEND parents, we, we're used to being gaslit. We're used to being told that it's all in our heads and that our children, yeah. you know, it's our children's fault or our fault as parents. So, you know, but now on a national scale, we've got increasing numbers of people yeah. feeling gaslit over whether or not to send their children back during COVID and all sorts mm -hmm. of stuff. And, you know, and in fact, we, we as parents get, you know, it's interesting in the name of your um, talk about seeing the label, we as parents get labeled, you know, our anxiety is, 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 is the reason our children are as they are. And I, I uh, for me personally, I'll just share this very quickly. I never actually realized or considered myself to be an anxious person until the moment that I became a mother. And of course, overwhelmingly, the you know everything was mummy instinct came in and I was just uh, you know uh, wired hardwired in a way to to protect so it was, yeah. it was very difficult to have yeah. children that didn't fit mm. but it was the most uh, extraordinary experience to be vulnerable to have a child in need to expect systems to be there to support and then when I asked for support to then be told that I was the one that was causing the problem. It was mm. the most mm. Mm. extraordinary experience yeah. of um, increased, uh, increasing vulnerability. So I, I remember sitting in meetings and saying, um, well, yes, of course I'm anxious and I'm getting worked up, but that's because I've spent four years trying to be heard and advocating for a child who won't leave his room. Mm. So, I mean, it, <laughs> you, you feel like you're speaking Japanese of, Simon it's 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 massively problematic but yeah. um I'm glad that these discussions are happening well now's the time for things to change I think if it doesn't happen now then I don't know when it will absolutely absolutely yeah. thank you <laughs> Rachel has a hand up hi hi so I work in uh, East Kent Sudbury schools it's a democratic setting three days a week and um 
we've got um, a number of fairly neurotypical children. We've got some with autism. Um, we've got one child in particular who's got an attachment disorder. And when he first came to us, he'd been in mainstream school and he'd had a horrific time. He spent most of his time in exclusion um, because they just couldn't control his behaviour at all. He would lash out physically. He would stomp and shout and swear at people. And we just thought, gosh, are we going to be able to mm. you know, manage? Is he going to be safe? Um, but we, we gave him a go. And what we found is that resilience is just something that naturally happens when they're given that kind of trust when they're given um, the freedom to make their own choices and make their own mistakes without judgment. Um, when he, he first came to us, he refused to come to the JC at all, which is where we'd, we'd take them to resolve conflicts. And um, we had to say to him, look, if you're not going to take part in, in what we've got in place, we can't keep you safe, we can't keep other people safe, you can't come anymore. And he, he started coming very reluctantly and he would fold his arms and stare at the floor and not say anything. But over time, he's just, he's stopped lashing out. He's stopped swearing completely. He, um, if, if somebody's upsetting him, he will tell them, he'll verbalize it. And he'll come to JC and he'll say, this is what happens. This is my side of the story. Um, yeah, we, we're, still, we're still a work in progress, but it's just... It's interesting, it's been really interesting to observe that firsthand, that mm. just being given trust, being given freedom, but being able to make mistakes and not feel judged for them has just that, that resilience has just come naturally. And what would you say, how did you sort of do that? What's the biggest difference, would you say, that he would get that feeling of trust and in your school compared to another school? What was the... I don't know, that's a very difficult one to answer. I think maybe um, modelling trust by giving it. Um, yeah. so, although we, we had some issues, so we, we couldn't quite, to start with, maybe give him exactly the same amount of freedom as everyone else. We gave him as much as we possibly could in such a yeah. way that he was safe. And we kind of eased off and eased off and eased off. And he's, he's, he, he still tests boundaries a lot. He's, he struggles with trust for adults in particular yeah um but i think when we were able to trust him we we're saying we're giving you this freedom we're choosing to trust you we're choosing to give you this freedom he kind of you know they learn by example that's the biggest yeah. way children learn i think yeah isn't it? and i think yeah. he's very slowly kind of caught on and, and kind of echoed that back to us i think mm. no it's interesting yeah uh yeah uh, technically out of time there's not okay. another meeting happening straight away so if there are last uh, I think Juliet had one more thing should we do Juliet yes. then yes thank you um, I just wanted to ask uh, Rachel and Ian actually um, in your schools um, do the children come with the labels and are you kind of open to it or um, I mean I don't um, so my child is going to a, um, a self-directed learning school um, as of next year, but I, I get a feeling that um, they're willing to take him, but they're not embracing the label necessarily in the sense that, um, yeah, um, they don't want to take children as EHCPs, for instance. So... Um, yeah, that, that makes me slightly uncomfortable, I have to admit. Uh, because um, my child is not the label, but he's also the label. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, just, um, yes, if you want I've just written a piece, Charlotte, you, you know, the old saying, but you can't tell a book by its cover, and, and giving some examples in that of uh, students who, who are different. So there are lots of differences that we experience. I think that... Um, uh, some parents find it helpful to use the label to get, for instance, an EHCP. And we, we have students with EHCPs, of course. Um, most of the autistic students that are with us have an EHCP. Um, but what we, I think, are aware of is that the label doesn't actually summarise the person. Actually, every autistic child is quite different. So, so uh, like a couple of the girls presented to a community meeting, um, 
with a PowerPoint saying, well, we have issues about noise. So then it was a how in the community we deal with that. But other autistic students don't have an issue about noise. So it's always about giving space for that person to be able to say where they're different and, and in what way those differences might come out. Um, and uh, I mean, I echo the comments of the people who made about the, the way the system works because, but, but just to give an example of where somebody doesn't fit. So we had a boy who'd not been in school for a year. He'd been badly bullied. He'd had no diagnosis, even though he was 15, um, because his parents just didn't know anything about autism or anything. Um, and then an ed psych spotted him and they realized that, that and then got him sent to us. Um, so he, he, um, he took some GCSEs, passed English, failed maths, went to education college, failed maths twice before finally passing. Uh, then he did an access course, went and did a psychology degree. During that time, he volunteered back with us, and now he's on the staff. So, you know, again, there's another myth, you know, that someone who's uh, autistic is automatically socially inept. <laughs> Um, but he's actually very popular with the other students, and not just those who are on the autistic spectrum, but others um, who go to him because he's kind of calm, gentle, easy, and works with people, and quite different from the way in which the school had seen him, because they just basically tried to get him because he was a nuisance, and and uh, they didn't, you know. So for a whole year he hadn't attended, and the school was kind of delighted because he was a pain in the school. Um, but the label helped him to be able to come to us because the ed site was able to say right oh, there's, there's a, somebody here in need um, and the first education college was pretty good in terms of its uh, sensitivity to the fact that he was going to somewhere that's quite a large institution but was fine there um, so yeah it's a bit that <laughs> there's a whole uh, raft of problems around around labels I have to say and that's why I was attracted to coming into the session because it is quite a problem about labels that put on people what about you, Rachel? Um, so we're in the process of trying to be registered with Ofsted as a full-time school. And unfortunately, what that means is that until we have that in place, we're not legally allowed to take on children with EHCPs um, or we'd become an illegal school. Um, the long-term plan is that, yes, we, we would take anybody um we do have three students at least three students at the moment that we would say are on the spectrum one of them is my son um who is eight he's the only one with a diagnosis um we do have a senko who's a qualified play therapist and he helps them to deal with uh, and whatever issues might come about as a result of that but he doesn't do that um because of the label so we we see how they interact at school so my son who does have um a diagnosis he he presents very much as autistic he's um when he had his assessment he was described as a little old professor <laughs> he, he thinks very deep questions but he doesn't necessarily interact that much with the other children he, he likes adult attention and that's fine he, he is spending more time with the children than he used to yeah. Uh, we have another student who doesn't have a diagnosis and doesn't present as obviously as my Elijah, which I think causes more problems rather than less. I think people make allowances for Elijah because of the way he presents. And this other child, yeah. he wants to socially interact with children, but he makes a lot of mistakes. Um, and, and he's always getting himself into arguments. And, and yeah, we... So he has quite a lot of time with, with Joe, who's the play therapist, and he'll do things like um, he, he's not very good at listening when, he, when he's um, really in the tunnel vision. The typical, yeah. right? if, he, if he's in the middle of doing something, um, he, it's like he can't hear what's going on around him. So um, Joe does things with him, like he'll get him to play a game, and then every once in a while he'll shout out, stop, and then... Uh, this boy has to stop and I don't, I don't know he, exactly everything he does but he he's got all these games and, and things in place to try and help him and yeah we, we do that for anybody so we're we, we do embrace the labels and we're we're aware of the diagnoses if they have them if they don't have them then we're, we're aware of the kind of signs of different um, yeah, yeah. special needs that children might have um, although it's it's a very personal decision whether parents want to pursue that or not obviously it's complicated issue in itself um but we 
we just see how children are doing on an individual basis. So we wouldn't put something in place just because a child has a diagnosis, but if we can see that that child's struggling, whether they've got a diagnosis or not, then we're going to do what, with, with their consent, as long as they're happy with it, we're going to do what we can to help them. I don't know if that answers your question, does it? No, yeah, it does. I, I, yes, I think it's just, um, it, for me, it's just um, understanding that diagnosis also gives information and that it but it doesn't give a full information about your child so it's a kind of balance between those two things and I feel a little bit sometimes that um if if people you know uh, yeah if they don't want to have the label then they they also they don't yeah I'm worried they don't want to to interact with my whole child as well because he is also that I don't know it's a kind of um, yeah, it's a balance between those two things I want him to be seen for who he is but I also want people to know that that's what he's having to cope with I mean it's, yeah. that's it I think that's um, yeah and I think that's everyone on the same probably yeah, we are looking to have more training for the whole staff on, on these kind of things. Like we want to have everything in place we possibly can to support everyone. Yeah. But yeah, we are we are still a fairly new um, setting. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, and, and my son is going to a completely new one. So I think that's, we'll see how it looks. Thank you. Thank you, but Eliza, did you want to respond to any of that or have any closing comments? Um, no, but if anyone, I can put my email if anyone wants to get in touch, then um, feel free. I'm quite happy to chat if anyone wants to. Um, yeah, there you go. So, um, did that come up to everyone? I don't know if that went to. Oh no, wait, hang on, it only went to one person. I'll put it in again. It's so easy to get that wrong, isn't it? I know. Here we go. Brilliant. Okay. Well, in that case, just thank you so much again to Eliza. Uh, it's just so, such a moving and beautiful and economic description, economical description of your story. Um, I really appreciated that. So thank you for sharing. And it was a really interesting discussion. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Anything else that you want to say or should we have a wave? No, that's good. <laughs> thank you for everyone to come and listen to me. Thank you. That was fantastic. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the uh, forum. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freedom to Learn podcast. For more information about our work, check out our website at freedomtolearn.uk and find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.